0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the tree of life church podcast It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life love and power of jesus You can be seated. Thank you uh, My history with this church goes back to uh, don's dad He and I were we're best friends and I miss him. I love him But one of the things that I know about Don's dad is he would stand up here and he would look at his son and he would say how proud he is of you. And uh, I want you to know he's proud of you and I'm proud of you too. Thank you for all that you've done. Karen, we've known each other since we were young. That goes way, way back. And uh, it's such a a honor to uh, have you in the room. And uh, I love you and I'm proud of you. And thank you for your faithfulness to Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, today we come before you. And I just ask for your help. I'm limited in what I can do. I don't know everyone in this room and really don't know much about anyone in this room. So I'm dependent on you. You're the only one that knows everything about everyone. You know the people in this room, what they hope and what they fear, what they dream, what they dread. Lord, you know the things that they've told everyone, but more importantly, you know the things they've never whispered to anyone. And therefore, you're the one who can unlock the combination of their hearts. All of us have been to church before, but Lord, it's not being at church that matters, it's being with you And so today, Lord, we choose to be with you. And I thank you, Father, that you're going to speak clearly. You're going to minister appropriately. And Father, when it's all said and done, you're going to help us be more like Jesus than ever before. That is our prayer in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. And we all agree together saying, Amen. I wanted to see if the water tasted different from that fancy cup. Uh, It's... Still tastes like water, I mean, it's that. This morning, I wanna take a few moments and I wanna talk to you about uh, questions about death, questions about death. You know, the Bible is crystal clear about our journey on this thing that we call planet Earth. It begins the day that we are born. And if Jesus doesn't come back, it will end the day that we die. That's our journey on this thing called planet Earth. And what we realize is that the questions aren't on the day that we're born. The questions come about the day that we die. As a pastor, I've literally held the hand of 17 individuals when they've taken their last breath on this planet. I'm not talking about being near them, being in the other room. I'm talking about holding their hands when they took their last breath. I've done it frequently. I've been in those rooms and when you're in those rooms, what happens is when that happens, people have questions. I've walked out many times and family members that maybe didn't have a whole lot of faith or a reference point, or maybe they're just young and it's their first time that they've ever walked through the valley of the shadow of death. There are all these questions. And one of the things that I've learned is wherever our greatest questions are needs to be where our greatest faith is. So when we have great questions, we need to have great faith. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seven says, uh, we don't walk by sight. I will tell you that when you're in those rooms and you're holding their hand and they have their last breath, here's what sight tells you. It's over, it's finished, it's done. You'll never see them again. There's nothing in that room that makes you feel anything other than it's over. It's done, it's complete. They're gone, we'll not see them. But see, that's what sight tells you. But what faith tells you is the next verse, it says that we don't walk by sight, but by faith, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so in all of those times, my sight told me it's over, it's done, it's finished. You'll never see them again. But my faith told me that They were absent from the body, therefore they were present with the Lord. They weren't here, they were there. They weren't here with me, they were there with him. That's what my faith told me. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand is the Bible spends a whole lot of time navigating these issues because it wants people to have a workable knowledge to navigate these moments in life. And one of those verses that really helps us is Ecclesiastes chapter three in verse 11. And in Ecclesiastes three in verse 11, it says this. It says that God has written eternity in our heart. That there is a a default program inside each one of us, how we were created, and that default program says this, is that you were created for eternity. There's something inside you that tells you that your life is bigger than this life, that there's more to life than this life, that there's something beyond this life, because inside us, eternity is. Is written. And it doesn't matter. You may not be a person of faith. You may not be, quote, into that God thing, but inside you, eternity's been written. Your life is bigger than this life, that there's life beyond this life. God wrote eternity in our hearts. Everyone in here, the most distant person, the person who says, I'll never believe, I'll never believe anything about it. The Bible says that God wrote eternity, that there's something inside you that says, your life is bigger than this, that there's more to life than this. In fact, Moses, when he was just recounting some of the statements about God in general, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, He says, I call all heaven and earth to record this day. You've got to understand, this is sort of an in-you-face moment because we're pretty good at looking at God things and saying, God, it's your fault. God, you're the problem. God, you didn't do this. You didn't. And, And Moses says, hey, all of creation is going to stand in record against you. That's what it says. It says, all heaven and all earth will stand in record against you. So there's gonna be a day that you can say what you wanna say about faith, but it says all creation's gonna sit there and it's gonna look at you and it's gonna say, we knew, we knew, we knew, and what we knew is you knew. Because eternity was written. And he says, I've set before you blessing and cursing, life and death, You choose life. He says, I've given you the capacity to make an eternal decision. You get to choose eternity. Eternity has been written. All creation is going to validate this, that inside you was given something. And what was given to you was a decision that you could make about your eternity. And the way that comes is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, it says that the God of all peace would sanctify you completely and it describes who you are and it says that you are spirit, soul, and body, that you are three dimensions. You have a spirit, you have a soul, you have a body, your spirit, your soul, your body, these three dimensions. See, you're the only part of creation that has three dimensions. You're the only part. When I go home today, I'm going to go in my backyard and there's going to be these three wonderful uh, English pointers and they are going to love to have me home. They're going to wag their tail. They're going to think it's a good day because they always like me. But as much as I love them, as much as I enjoy them, they do not have three dimensions. They have a body and they have a soul, and when you feel attachment to it, it's an attachment to their soul, but you're created different. You have a spirit, and the reason that's important is in John chapter 4 and verse 24, when Jesus was asked a question, he says, but God is spirit. You're the only part of creation that can divinely connect to God, that you have this plug-in, that you can relate to God, you can connect to God, you can have a relationship with God. You can experience God, you can know God, you are distinct in that. And what the Bible says is, is your spirit and soul, they're not disposable. So down at that chair, I was drinking uh, from a bottled water. When I finished that bottle of water, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put it in the trash. I'm gonna leave it over there. I'm gonna put it somewhere else. It's disposable, but your spirit and your soul are eternal. They live beyond this life. And that's the reason God wrote eternity in you. Now, here's the thing. The Bible is always redundant on this. It just says it in so many ways. There's a verse in Romans chapter eight in verse 37. People really love it. They get frothy. You come from our group and they like to take handkerchiefs and wave them around this verse and dance around this verse because it says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors." And people get really happy. I'm more than conquerors over my debt. I'm more than conquerors over sickness and disease. I'm more than conquerors. But what people don't realize is Paul uses four extremes to describe how we're more than conquerors. But the first extreme is this, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in death and life. That was the first extreme in death and life, but no one in this room would write that verse this way. Here's what we would write. We're more than conquerors in life and death. We would never start with the word death. God does. You know why? Because he says that there's life after death. There's life after death that when this life ends, there's more life and it says death and life. We would just think about this because we're absorbed with this life. Well, you know, we're more than conquerors in this life. That doesn't make you more than conquerors. What makes you a conqueror is the fact that death, which is the biggest enemy that people have, you still have life after it. That's the reason you're more than conquerors in death and life. Now, see, this this constant announcement and narrative by God that, hey, eternity's been written in your heart, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore you choose, that you've been created divinely to have a connection, therefore eternity's been written in your heart, and that you're more than conquerors in death and life. God wanted you to get it. So our Lord and Savior spent some time talking about it. And one of the places that he talked profoundly was in Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, it says, and there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and, and he did very well every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So this guy had a bad life. And it says in verse 22, and so it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried and he went to hell. So here's what you have. You have Jesus. This isn't me talking. This is in red letters. This isn't Don talking. This is in red letters. This is our Lord and savior. And in red letters, he gives us two men, two lives and two decisions. Two men, two men that lived on this planet, two lives of how they lived and two decisions. Now, the thing about it is, is that we know that the poor man when he died he was carried to Abraham's bosom and and you got to understand Jesus hadn't come in in the sense of going to the cross yet he hadn't died he hadn't risen again. Therefore, heaven wasn't accessible. And in the Old Testament, God created a place called paradise that was a precursor to heaven. And that's where, if you were a believer, you went until Jesus came and consummated the uh, work of redemption. But in the midst of that, one man goes to paradise, the other one, man goes to hell. Now, I have to be honest with you, the hell thing bothered me. Not, not that it talked about hell, but how profoundly Jesus talked about hell. I don't know if you know it, but, but if you study the Bible and you go from Genesis to Revelation and you study every word where hell is mentioned, the one person who talked about hell more than any other individual in scripture was Jesus. I mean, Jesus talked about hell. I mean. You know, everywhere you turned around, he's he's talking about this, and and that was uncomfortable because it didn't fit my image of Jesus. I wanted this this nice little Jesus, you know, the one in in the church that's holding that little lamb. You've seen that picture. I don't know when Jesus posed for it, but it's everywhere, <laughs> and and he's holding this little bitty lamb and, 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 you know, it just looks like one of these comfort and you're just, Oh my goodness. Jesus holding the lamb. Well, I'm a little lamb. Hold me. And so you're going through this whole thing and he's that's, that's the Jesus I want. I didn't want the one that was saying, and he went to hell. And it it bothered me, not that he said it, but that when you studied the Bible, he talked about hell more than anyone else. I mean, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, if anyone should have talked about hell, it should have been him. Because God said, I'm calling you into a ministry. You are gonna preach your whole life and no one's ever going to listen and believe. (laughs) Or what a pastor calls a normal Sunday morning. I mean, you know, Jeremiah should get up every day and say, well, they're going to hell. I mean, it should be. But I mean, it wasn't Jeremiah that talked about it. It It's Jesus. And I didn't get it because it blew my analogy of who Jesus was. And then one day it hit me. The reason Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else was because he wanted you to know what he's saving you from. He wanted you to know why he was going to climb up that hill, why he was going to carry that cross, why he was going to stay on that cross, why he was going to die on that cross, why he was going to stay on that grave, is that Jesus wanted you to know, I'm giving you an option other than hell. I'm giving you an option. Because that is what I'm saving you from. Now, the thing about hell is that Christians don't get it. Well, you know, he's a loving God, this hell thing, you know, I don't get a loving God and the hell thing. and, And, you know, all of a sudden you just get people who get a little bit confounded, the loving God and hell thing. But you have to understand what hell is. Hell is Jesus giving people exactly what they want. Someone says, well, what do you mean what they want? Every metaphor about hell is the opposite of Jesus. Hell is a place where there's no Jesus. So what is hell described as? Utter darkness. Why is it described that way? Because Jesus is the light of the world. So no Jesus, it's going to be dark down there. Well, what is Jesus? He's the bread of life. What is hell? It's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, the desire to have something that's out of reach. And, and see, here's what hell is, is that if you don't want a little bit of Jesus down here, why would you want a lot of Jesus up there? I mean, why? You understand that heaven is about Jesus. See, there are people down here, well, well, you should never mention that name, Jesus. If, if you can't handle his name being mentioned a little bit down here, hell, heaven's gonna be hell for you because I mean, they're mentioning it a whole lot up there. I mean, if it's not Christmas, it's holiday season to you because you can't handle the Christ in Christmas. I mean, you understand what heaven is, it's about Jesus. And so when this world says, we don't want any Jesus, God's gonna give them ultimately what they want. Now I'm a pastor, it's all I've ever done, but I have people in my church who will make statements like this. Well, I wanna go to heaven so I can see my family again. And do you know what? I pray your family's in heaven, but heaven's not about seeing your family, it's about seeing Jesus. And if you don't want a relationship with him, it's not gonna be a part of the journey for you. Someone says, well, I don't like that. Well, God set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore you choose. Your mama doesn't get to choose for you. Your daddy doesn't get to choose. Your grandmama doesn't. That girl that you're trolling right now and you came to church with because she's here, She's not going to choose. That's not what it's about. You get to choose. Heaven and earth is going to stand witness. God has created. But see, when you mention this hell thing, everyone says, but what about Aunt Sally? Because everybody has an Aunt Sally. You, You know Aunt Sally. She's that sweet person who gives great birthday gifts. She's just sweet but let's talk about Aunt Sally. See, from the time Aunt Sally was a little girl, once a year, there would come a time that all of a sudden people would start decorating their houses and decorating trees and and music would begin to become festive and people would begin to play things and and there'd be special services that people would go to and, and hear their kids and all these kind of things sing at. And see, every year when that happened, it was God whispering to Sally, I've come for you. I've come for you. Emmanuel, God with us. So every time they would change the lights, every time they would do, it was God just whispering to her, Sally, I came for you. So every year, God would whisper that. But Sally was always busy with her life. She just had other stuff to go do and places to go every time whispered. But then every year there would be a time when she would call friends and say, hey, let's do something this weekend. And her friends would say, I can't. And she'd say, why can't we? we we'll always do something. And they'd say, this is Easter. We're going with our family to Easter services. We're going to church with them. And Sally would say, well, no, let's just do something. They said, no, this is Easter. And it was God whispering to Sally, I not only came for you, but I died for you. I died for you. And then she began to get older. And as you get older, you start attending funerals and someone would stand up and they'd read a verse. And people would just sort of silently nod to that verse. And then they would tell a story. And every time she would go to a funeral, it was God saying, I not only came for you, I not only died for you, but I have a plan for you. And then every time she would see a beautiful sunset, God would whisper in her heart, that's a glimpse of heaven. You think that looks special? Imagine what heaven is. She'd see a beautiful sunrise. And when that sunrise would come, it would be one of those moments that God would just whisper, it's the beauty of heaven. And then she'd see a mama who would begin to hold her baby for the first time and it would seem so pure. And God would say, that's the purity of heaven. All around Sally in her life, God was whispering, nudging, saying, hey, I'm here. Will you pay attention to me? I'm here. Will you acknowledge me? But Sally, like many, was always too busy. Sally was always doing something else. And she could never take time to listen to God as he whispered to her heart. My spiritual father, he, he was born with three heart defects. When he was born with those heart defects, medical science couldn't do what they can do today. So first of all, they were surprised that he survived uh, just being born. But the doctor said, there's nothing we can do and he's not gonna live a long life. But he kept growing. But by the time he was a teenager, his heart could no longer support just normal activity. And so he was confined too bad and he would just lay there because he could hardly speak but then he kept getting more frail and his heart kept getting weaker that the doctor said he could die any minute now and so the family stationed people at his bed to be with him 24-7. One day his sister is there as she's sitting by the bed he turns to her and says, go tell mama I'm dying. And he talks about how that literally he's laying in the bed but he could feel his spirit begin to slip, slip from his body. He said it was like it slipped from his head to his chest to his midsection, down his legs, out his feet. And he said, he's literally standing, looking at his body on the bed and seeing his sister as she begins to move. He says he literally stood there in the spirit for a while but then he began to move. And he said, he began to be pulled downward. As he began to be pulled downward, um, he could see his bedroom, but it became dim. Then he could see his house and it became dim, but then he could see the earth and the lights of it, but it became dim. And then he began to recognize he wasn't ascending, he was descending. And the further down it got, the darker it got. And the darkness was just so dark, It was just so dark. And he said, all of a sudden his attention was caught by something way down below. And he said, it was flickers down there. And he immediately knew that what he was seeing was the portal to hell. He said, when he began to see that, he began to cry out. And he says, but God, but God, I go to church. But he kept descending. And then he said, but God, but God, I've gone to Sunday school, but he kept descending. And he said, but God, but God, I've been baptized but he kept descending. He said something inside him knew that if he crossed those portals, he is never coming back. But he said, as he got close, all of a sudden a voice came out of nowhere and it began to rattle everything. And he said, you could feel the shaking of it. And all of a sudden he began to ascend. And he said he could see those flickers begin to go down and then he could see the lights of heaven and then he could see his house and then he could see his bedroom. And he said, literally the reverse happened. He came to the foot of the bed and he said his spirit slid into his body. And people say, well, what happened there? It's because of the other part of the story. Because when his sister began to run out there, she ran and said, he's dying, he's dying to mom. And mom began to pray out loud and she prayed so loud that all the cars within three blocks stopped to hear. They knew something was going on. And if I could say anything to Christians, it would be this. Our prayers cannot change someone's decision, but when we pray, we can give them more time to make the right decision. And if you're not praying, you need to get in the game. Don't come talk to Don or to me about somebody you're uncertain about if you're not crying out loudly for them. That happened three times. When it happened the third time, he gets back. His mama's been praying, but when he gets back in his bed, he says, God, I've been to church, I've been to Sunday school, I've been baptized, but today, Lord, he said, I would like to ask your son to save me. See, one of the mistakes we've made is there are people in this room that are good at church. They're just really bad at God. And people like me have let you think because you're good at church, that's enough. Being good at church doesn't mean that you're good at God. And that day he said, God, I want your son to be my savior. And he said at that point, he knew that if he ever left his body again, he wouldn't go down, he would go up. Now, Jesus in this story went in great detail to try to help us understand what was going on. The first thing in verse 22, it says that when the poor man died, it says that the angels met him. And a lot of times people have asked me this question, well, you know, death just seems so lonely. And I said, it is lonely for us because we're saying goodbye. But I said, when they're a Christian, the minute they close their eyes, the angels are there to meet them. I said, they're never alone. They're not caught in some vague darkness. The angels are there and they're meeting them, guiding them into the presence of God. People ask me sometimes, they say, well, what is death like to a Christian? And I said, if you can think back to times when you were just a a, a little kid, maybe your family went on a picnic and they've been there all day and you've been there playing with all your friends and then the parents say, hey, it's time to go home and you begin to get in the backseat of the car, but you're tired from having played all day and you fall asleep in the backseat. The whole time your dad is driving, your mom's driving, you finally get home. They see you asleep in the back seat. They don't wake you up. They just pick you up and they put you in your bed, in your bedroom. And I said, here's what death is to a Christian. You fall asleep in the back seat and then you walk up, you wake up in the bedroom. You close your eyes here and you wake up there. That's what death is. That's why the Bible says, oh, death, where is thy sting?" What seems to be so final, it's not final for us. So we close our eyes here and we wake up there. That's what death is. Then people say, well, you know, when when I die, my body stays here. Does that mean I, 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 I don't have bodily form? But Jesus, in this story, he talks about how the man had eyes and the man had fingers and the man had a tongue and lips. And so you see this bodily form. Paul put it this way when he talked about it in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. He says, you know, I went to paradise talking about heaven. And he says that when I was there, he said, I didn't know if I was in the body or out. See, the difference between here and there is down here, the first thing we get up in the morning is we ask how we feel. Well, how do I feel today? And then you get old enough, you shouldn't even ask the question. Because old people are always telling you how their disease is progressing. Talking to old people is so much fun. But here it is, you know, He said, I didn't know if I was in the body. See, the difference between earth and heaven is here we're conscious of every physical thing. There we're conscious of spiritual things. And then people say, well, when I die, will will I know people? Let me just give some of you some hope. When you go to heaven, you don't get dumber. (laughs) That ought to be inspiration for some of you to want to go to heaven right there. Because the rich man in hell looked up and he saw the poor man. He recognized him. In fact, one of the things I think is going to be about fun about heaven is probably for the first thousand years, walking around and, and being surprised by who made it. <laughs> Running into people and saying, I didn't think I'd see you here and They're looking back and said, the over and under on you wasn't real good either. <laughs> but here's the thing. When, you're, when you leave this body, your knowledge increases. It doesn't decrease because even the man in hell, he looked up and he saw Abraham. He had never met Abraham before. Abraham had died years and years and years before but he had knowledge. But see, God set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore you choose. And, and the rich man says, Abraham, will you go tell my three brothers? And Abraham looks at him and he says, he says, one, I can't. But two, even if I could, it wouldn't change it. He says, if they won't believe everything around them, what has been written and what has been put in their heart and what has been designated within life because all creation declares the glory of God. He says, they're not gonna listen to me. But then Abraham says something real interesting. He says, when you were on earth talking to the rich man, you had everything and Lazarus had nothing. But now Lazarus has everything and you have nothing. See, one of the things that pastors like me get is people, well, life just hasn't been fair to me. You need to understand that the score is never settled this side of earth. And if you've got to win one place, don't win here, win there. But in the midst of this, we see this story unfold as Jesus gives us these graphic illustrations. But here's what I can tell you. The average person in this room is gonna live 25,800 days. You ticked off one of them today. But that's the average for those of you that are bringing out your calculator. It's about 78 years. Some of you are playing with house money just looking at you. But here's the thing. Your life consists of a day that you are born and if Jesus doesn't come back, a day that you'll die. You don't control either one of those days. The only thing you control is the dash. Is your life lived in such a way that people will remember you making a difference while you were here? If the only thing they remember is fighting over your estate, then your life didn't mean anything. If the biggest thing about you is gonna be the garage sale that they're gonna have, it's a meaningless life. You get to choose how your dash is. And I'm always amazed that there are people in this room, I've said nothing to you today that you didn't already know. And you have people in your family you've never told what you know. why would you keep the greatest information a secret from people who need to know it? Billy Graham was always one of my favorite communicators. And the thing about Billy Graham was he always had these interesting perspectives. He was talking about another Lazarus, not this Lazarus, but Lazarus, who is the brother of Mary and Martha. And with Mary and Martha, what happened was, Jesus was away and, and Lazarus got sick. They sent for Jesus, but Jesus didn't come immediately. And so Lazarus died and they buried him. When Jesus finally shows up, Mary and Martha are mad at Jesus saying, if you would have been here, so please understand, we're not the first group of people who said, well, if God would have really been there, this wouldn't have happened. Mary and Martha felt that way. If you had have been here, this would have never happened. And it says that Jesus wept. And of course, everyone says that he was weeping because he saw their grief and over the fact that Lazarus, but Billy Graham put it a little different. He says, I'm not sure that's so. He says, I think Jesus was crying because he knew he was gonna ask Lazarus to leave paradise to come back here. And he felt sorry that he was having to do that. You understand in all 17 times I held those people's hands, I was feeling sorry for them when they died. and a split second, they were feeling sorry for me. There's nobody who's a Christian that would choose to come back to New Braunfels. Why would you give up heaven to come here? Float in a river that doesn't even have a current? I mean, why? (laughs) Why would you do that? When you can have heaven above. All 17 of them feel sorry for me now. Because they're with him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I can speak a thought, I can communicate a truth, but you're the only one that can make it real and alive. To that guy that's here just because his girlfriend showed up, speak to him. To that person that was uncomfortable and they got up three times during the service, speak to them. Minister, Lord, to people today. Speak to their hearts challenge their lives, but let them see the truth of a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and a relationship with a savior who loved them so much, he was willing to die for them. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.